You're listening to Reach Teach Talk with Nat Dane. Welcome to another episode of Reach Teach Talk. I am thrilled today to have Posse Salberg, uh, professor of education from, from Finland, from Helsinki. Dr. Salberg is somebody who I have known or known through his work over the past five years. Um, as I mentioned, he is uh, really a guru and a real shaper in education reform um, in Finland, in his native country. And what he has been able to do in terms of giving giving articulation to why the Finnish education system is as successful as it is really spoke to me, not just in my mind, but also in my heart, because so much of what Dr. Sauberg focuses on in his book, Finnish Lessons, right here, um, as well as in his instruction as professor, is this idea that teaching is not simply something that can be uh, rotely learned. And it is, while it is a profession and it is a craft, there's other elements that come into play when one is a teacher and when, when one is a successful teacher. And in Finland, 10% of the applicants to ed, to ed school are accepted. That is, you know, along the lines of Harvard and Yale Law School here in the U.S. And this is for teaching. And it's a 50-50 male-female teaching force. And once these teachers have gone through their uh, grad school, their, their graduate program, both theoretically and practically, they are in the classroom. And from day one, they're given this respect and they're given this respect for what they do. But a lot of what we're going to talk about in this episode actually is not going to be something that, that Dr. Salberg has, has spoken of a thousand times, which is why the finished education system is so excellent in terms of reform and in terms of structure. But really, this being a podcast about relationships, uh, what, what I really want to focus our conversation on today is how relationships impact the teacher-student connection and how, according to Dr. Sahlberg, relationships really have, have kind of um, formed part of the central thread in terms of why Finland has been so successful. I visited several schools in Finland for research for my book and primary schools and secondary schools, and I certainly can speak anecdotally for how students and teachers have this way of connecting in these schools. Um, I, we can talk about the schedule. We can talk about the, the, the kind of time to have sidebar conversations with students, the time for, for teachers to have um, time, you know, unstructured time to lesson plan, to, to bond with their colleagues, but also to connect with their students. This idea of learning being not just cognitive, but also emotional and social. And what really turned my head when I learned about, um, when I was first learning about Finland and Finland's education system, and was not just the fact that they scored highest on the PISA scores, and, but, but more this idea that they, Finland is a country that's, that's, that's undergoing rapid change demographically. There's a lot of immigration in Finland now. There's a lot of uh, diversity to the student body. And in order, and, and it's this collective responsibility that is palpable in Finland, where every student, regardless of where they come from, whether they're you know, Helsinki natives or, um, or whatnot, they have, uh, it is up to the adults to educate all of them and to bring all boats, you know, have the tide raise all, all boats. How does Finland do this? What makes Finland so magical um, is what we're gonna talk about today and how do relationships factor into this Finnish magic, this Finnish way. So without much further ado, Dr. Salberg, thank you so much for being here from Australia, actually, um, and speaking to me here uh, today. 
Thank you, Nat, very much. It's a pleasure and uh, also honor to be in your series of podcasts. Uh, I've been I've been listening to some of your previous guests, and I must say that I'm very humble uh, before the fact that there has been so so many bright people, including yourself, to um, to run this wonderful thing that you do. So thank you. Thank you very, very much. I, I think that uh, we are in an age of quantitative metrics and data, and all of them serve a purpose, right, in terms of assessing student performance and even in, in terms of assessing teacher efficacy. Yet there's something about Finland and something about the fin- Finnish education system that I'd like for you to share kind of your observation and your expertise on, Dr. Salberg, which is the relationships that I saw in the hallways, the relationships I saw during these 15 minutes for every hour where teachers can talk with students unstructured. What can you share with my audience about the way that the Finnish education system supports and nurtures relationships in schools? Yeah, that's a, it's, a, it's a great question to start with, but let me go a, a, a little bit backwards. You were, you were speaking about the Finnish magic and, and and this is really <laughs> this is really something that most people who are uh, interested in what 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 is happening in Finland, what the Finnish schools do, that they kind of uh, wonder that you know what is this magical thing, what is the secret or or or, or, or miracle of, of Finnish education? You know, I I don't think that any of those uh, any of those terms really capture what the most important thing because that the Finnish system uh, in the end of the day is a very simple basic common sense way of thinking about what is education for uh, and what should the school look like that is designed for children's point of view not for the system or or parents or teachers point of view and so for me the more I, I, I explore and think about Finnish education system from the distance here. And I, I must say that I'm a I'm a hundred percent product of the Finnish system. I went through all the school levels. Uh, I was a teacher in Finland for many years. I, I was a teacher educator there. So um, I, I I think it's it's a it's a too simple system to really understand the beauty of it. And it's all it's it's all based on this thing that your your whole um, series here is. Uh, is focusing on is is about relationships. You know, if you ask, and you probably heard this when you went to Finnish schools, if you ask that, so what what is the most important thing in your school? And and many many Finnish teachers say there are three things: the relationships, relationships, and relationships. That that's how it's built uh, uh, built. And <clears throat> and I'm I'm saying this also because I think that many, especially uh, foreign observers who 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 travel to Finland often for couple of days or three days to uh, try to kind of figure out what's going on, they do not get into this level of simplicity of the system. They, they kind of ask questions like, like um, what, what, is this, uh, what is this effective teaching method, method of teaching that the Finnish teachers are using? Uh, what, what does the curriculum look like? How much technology is used? Uh, and and the you know the the answer to this question is is not there. The answer is really how people relate to one another, and and the the key thing that most people, including you, Nat, probably when you when you left Finland, you probably realized that there's a there's a whole lot of trust within the the society as a whole. 
but in in the in what the schools are doing that everybody seemed to trust one another starting from the the system leaders like a minister and the politicians that they trust what the schools are doing and it it falls down to the all levels of the system parents trust the teachers professional wisdom and ability to to design the schools the way that it's good for the kids uh, but probably most importantly that within the school that the school principals administrators fully trust the teachers way of thinking and doing what they do in the classrooms and when that is a kind of a strong defining culture in finland then of course the teachers they trust the kids and the, the children trust their teachers so i think that is the this really strong element of trust that kind of a makes it possible to to build these rela- relationships in the schools and and leave teachers room and freedom to really design their work and decide what is the best for the for the kids so the the, the relationship is not the only thing i think this is all all driven by this idea of you know thinking that the people when they are given freedom and autonomy to decide what to do and trust that they know they know the best what to do including the the children and and that's something you know the cultures are very hard to understand <laughs> you 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 really understand another country's culture by spending a couple of couple of days there or or even the week and it's the same with the, with the school cultures and it's the same in America I, i've lived almost 10 years in the us and i still think that i don't quite understand you know all the why 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 some of these things are taking place in american schools and it's a it's a finnish finnish school system is very hard to understand but my 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 kind of a bottom line here is that you know when you do more work on the Finnish system, you begin to kind of realize how simple and basic it is. <laughs> it, it, it starts from this kind of a trust and, and children's perspective, what they need, and then builds through relationships uh, and autonomy and respect uh, the, the kind of a system that we have. Now, the good question, of course, is that how sustainable is this? And, and you refer to the increasing diversity, and now we have the, we are just in, a, in the early phase of the the coronavirus thing that is really shaking and shaping up uh, the school system in Finland and everywhere, that how sustainable these basic elements in Finland are actually going to be. That's something that remains to be seen. The, this, this concept of trust, uh, Fasi, is, is on two levels to me based on what, I, what you just shared. And one is organizational trust, I guess, which is... Um, and you speak about professional capital at some point. It's uh, you know, it's Hargraves' professional capital um, uh, theory, and uh, but this idea of organizational trust, this idea of of you have been through this graduate program, you have been you know selected in this ten percent um, crew, this elite crew. Yet, from what I understand, these ten percent who are selected, Fossey, they are not necessarily. And correct me, or maybe you can share. Who are these people that are accepting these programs because it might not be what we as Americans particularly would think that you know that who they are yeah absolutely critical question and I, I remember during my time um, I spent three years as a visiting professor at Harvard and and the rest of my my decade uh, as an education specialist uh, at the World Bank and I often I've, I often came across people who who kind of said that we we need the same similar systems in in the United States where we can select the 
the future teachers from the the best and the brightest, as the saying in America goes. The best and the brightest. And, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, and that's you know that's why the kind of kind of an ideal in America, like for example, Teach for America program uh, was to go and recruit the future teachers from the Ivy League schools and uh, the, the best universities in the country, hoping that when when the smart people, so-called smart people, enter the classroom, that they will do uh, what a a superman would do, do miracles there and do what the average teachers wouldn't be uh, able to do. Now we know from research that this is not, this is not happening and it doesn't happen like this. And, and, you know, interestingly, many people made references to Finland. They say that this is exactly what Finland does and this is exactly what the Singapore does, that, that you select your future teachers, that you have a, people told me that you have a luxury in your country to select the future teachers from the best and the brightest. And I say, how do you know that? And people say that, well, isn't it true that only 10% of your teachers are, are successful when they are entering in the, the initial teacher education? And I said, yes, that's true in the primary school teacher education, but how do you know that they are actually the best and the brightest? And the, the reply comes that, but who else would the universities recruit? Why would they recruit somebody who is not... <laughs> who doesn't have the 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 high GBA scores or, or high school leaving scores and say, well, let's take a look at this. And and I, I've done, and my colleagues have done analysis every year when we are selecting these new teachers um, into initial uh, university level um, master's degree programs to become teachers. And they never are, Finnish universities never choose uh, their students, their future teachers from using the, 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 just the academic criteria for the best and the brightest or just looking at the test scores. What's behind Just to give you that? an example for, yeah. well, you know, the, for, for, for many, many years, because, you, you know, if you have a luxury to have a large pool uh, that is often 10 times bigger than your intake, um, that you have all kinds of people there. <clears throat> and, you know, one thing that people, Finnish people understand, and this is, again, due to uh, partly to, to work and research by my good former colleague and good friend, uh, Howard, uh, Howard Gardner, who has been, who has dedicated his life and still continues to work on this idea that people come with the different types of talents and in intelligences that, that you are not just a academically ta talented or gifted and that's it, but you, you have different talents. And, and the Finnish universities and especially te teacher educators have, since the, the early, early works of Cartner, uh, uh, understood that you know, we have talented people who, are, who have a gift in, it can be in many, many different areas, like somebody can be socially talented or somebody can be good in, um, in arts or sports or something like this. So that's why you know, when the Finnish teachers are selected still, uh, the selection criteria is really looking at the kind of a whole student, uh, not just the, how good any particular student is in, in a school academic subjects. And that's why uh, it's, it's very common and it still happens. I, I reported this in Finnish lessons that you showed uh, that uh, about, for example, at the University of Helsinki, that is a, is a major uh, institution to prepare the primary school teachers in Finland, um, uh, only um, only about one quarter of those who are selected, and the and the the, the uh, candidate pool is huge. 
So, so in Helsinki University, only one out of 15 or one out of 20 of those who apply there will be selected. And only one quarter of those um, belong to what in, in the United States people would consider to be the best and the brightest. And, and one quarter of those who are successful getting in actually come from the bottom half of the, the so-called academic talent pool, which uh, means that those people, they must, be, they must come to these programs with something else that is equally important than how good you have been in school in, in, uh, in English and mathematics and something else. And they are often, often people who have been intensively working with, uh, with uh, young people as sports coaches or music instructors or community workers. So they already have those relational skills, if you wish, that are needed uh, to be a successful teacher. So that's, I, I think it's very important. That's one of my main, main kind of a calls for people who are doing things based on what Finland does is that please really try to understand how, how the teacher education preparation system works because it's a very important that we have an understanding that people can be gifted and talented and uh, the best and the brightest in many, in a number of different ways, not just in what you do in a school. And that's, that has been one, one very smart idea in Finland already 35 years ago to, um, uh, to select the teachers. I often tell tell my my colleagues and audiences that that the the Finnish teacher education sy uh, selection system is so demanding that you know my dream when I was uh, leaving high school my dream was to become a primary school teacher and I tried to get into the university twice and I failed both times so I ended up being a professor at Harvard and now at the University of New South Wales instead because I couldn't <laughs> become a primary school teacher in Finland. <laughs> That's a great anecdote. That's a great anecdote because truly like, oh, your, your plan B is to be a professor at the Harvard Ed School, you know, um, when really your plan uh, A yeah, is exactly. to be a, a lifelong <laughs> primary school teacher. And I just love this because you're really forcing me and our listeners and viewers to stretch and broaden their idea, our idea of what teaching truly is because my gosh, you know, it, it's, what you're saying is it's it's not we're just cutting we're we're, we're cutting the top ten we're we're doing Jack Welch at GE we're we're skimming from the top ten percent and we're going to put them in the classroom because the theory is that if you are academically superior you will make a great teacher where instead what you're saying is fifty percent of the teachers who are in this ten percent admit at acceptance are are artists they're athletes they are coaches they they have worked with kids and in, in a sense i don't even know if this is truly even ex explicit in in terms of when one is applying to be a teacher or to go to the grad school in, in, in finland but it sounds to me that they are looking for the they being those who are the gatekeepers are looking for the relational or at least they have this understanding that as you just articulated teaching is Yes, it's about mastery of content, but it's also a lot about who you are. What do you bring to the classroom that is your unique lens that, that kids can hook into? Maybe, do you mind if you can speak a little bit more to that? The idea of when, when we're talking about learning, what truly do you believe, Dr. Salberg, it attracts kids, engages kids with a teacher? What have you seen 
um, in terms of effective uh, engagement that, that comes from the person, the teacher as a person. Yeah, I often tell this story that I think uh, is uh, is also in the Finnish Lessons uh, book. It's one of my favorite stories that is about my niece who who was really a bright student and she couldn't, she was not successful in the first time, which again speaks for this fact that in Finland it's not enough that you are you have been good at school. You also have to ha you have to come to the program if you want to become a teacher you have to have some at least some early qualities of something uh, something else and uh, you, you know the kind of a killing question for her in the in the in the very tough uh, entry um, examination in the uh, in the university was when the panel was asking her to reflect a little bit on the fact that she wants to become a primary school teacher with the what Americans would call the straight A student <laughs> and uh, that she was told that you could become a lawyer or doctor or economist or anything you like. Why do you want to become a primary school teacher? And this, this was one of those questions that she was really not thinking about too much. So the only thing she could say that because my uncle is a teacher and that of course is a wrong answer, <laughs> especially <laughs> in a panel like a uh, panel like that. Right. But that's, you know, you know, the, the universities, when when they prepare teachers, and this is not only in Finland, there are some other places as well, are are really increasingly looking for these early signs of of skills and and attitudes as well in these young people that points very strongly to this uh, uh, relationship building thing, seeing education, teaching, and learning as a kind of a relational thing rather than an act of transfer or, or transmission that is often the case in these other cases when for example if you believe that somebody who is good in mathematics and science will be a good science and math teacher and certainly these people uh, know their content they know their concepts and laws and and ideas of science and mathematics but there's it's, it's a it's a long way from there to understanding how how children actually learn those things and this is exactly what the Finnish system has been paying attention to uh, that you know if you don't if somebody doesn't have these early signs of uh, understanding how to work with people and um, and how to teach how to build these establish the relationships and how how to build trust between you as a teacher and, and your your students it's going to be the universities understand that it's going to be hard work to try to teach those people those skills. It's much easier to teach, you know, the content, the history and English and, and mathematics if somebody doesn't know everything. But it's much harder to change people's minds if somebody is not really kind of like looking at what teachers do and, and students do in schools that particular way. And, you know, in, even in, in, in Finland, we, we sometimes we have those people. Um, it's, a, it's a very, actually very uncommon that these people would find their ways into the teacher education programs. But every, every, every year there are uh, kind of a few small number of, of those who happen to get through but will not graduate because the universities kindly tell these students that I think that your job would be somewhere else, not in a school. So that's how important the, this kind of a relational uh, aspect is and understanding what learning really is about. I think we pay a, a, a lot of attention to to helping young teachers and, and people to understand how children learn. 
Um, and that's, that's, that's only one example where American science uh, of the learning sciences and scientists uh, have been very influential in Finland. We have learning scientists in Finland, of course. But, for example, when I went to study to become a teacher, uh, 90% of my readings were American literature. So we mm. were reading about what American scholars and scientists said about how, how learning happens. So I learned this in American way, but then went into the Finnish school. And I, I, I kind of often just shake my head because I, I don't understand why these same lessons that have built a great school system in Finland uh, from the United States are not taken seriously in American uh, teacher education or education system or let alone the the federal and state level education policies because you know they, to simplify this a little bit I, I often say that what you see in Finland if you look at the Finnish education system is actually what American education system could have been if the the own own learnings and own theory, theories and, and practices in the United States have been taken seriously there. But unfortunately, that's not the case. So now you see these, these new American education systems blooming around the world, including Finland. Can I ask, um, may I ask about whenever I find myself a, uh, an apostle for the Finnish education system in America, the number one kind of pushback I, I get is, but America is a country of 300 million people. How, how can you scale? You can't scale that up. Do you have anything? You've worked in Washington. You, you've been in Cambridge, Massachusetts, professor at Harvard Ed School. Is there anything that you can say to that that would be a good response to this idea that, well, you can't scale it in the U.S.? Sure. Yeah. But, you know, anybody who says that, that America has an education system of for 320 million citizens uh, or 50 million people is wrong because they, there's no such thing as American education system. There are 50 states and uh, 50, almost 15,000 districts uh, and it's a very localized system. So even, you know, if you, even in America, if you, if, you, if you look at the 50 education systems that are very different, they, I lived in Massachusetts and it's a very different system than in, in Mississippi, for example. Uh, or, or just cross the border to New Hampshire, um, and and you know about thirty of those fifty states would be about the size of Finland or smaller. Uh, they are some states like California or New York or, or Florida that are, that are larger, but most states in the United States uh, would be in a kind of a size of putting things in a scale. If you think like this. Uh, so I, I never accept this idea of, you know, taking a, a huge country. Are we going to do what Finland is doing because we are so much bigger? Because, because you are, you're actually at the level of the states, um, uh, you are not. But then the other, the, the other question I often hear is that, but let's be serious here for a moment, that America has much more diversity and the, the, the history of the country is very different because of all the slavery and uh, human rights issues and many other things than Finland. It's easier to do in a country that is younger and uh, more homogeneous than culturally than, than America. And that's a fair, I think that that's a fair uh, thing to say because that's where the, really the differences begin to, to merge. But, you know, my overall response to anybody who is, who wants to get into this conversation or we can, we should ignore Finland or some other countries because they are so different. So oh, that's fine. 
but you know there are many things that we can learn from those and um, and that we should never try to emulate or imitate the whole whole system but you know in the end of the day if this this type of conversation gets really serious and say okay it's fine you can ignore all the other countries but do not ignore canada just go and see the canadian systems that are uh, much closer to what, what to America, what Finland and and many others, so Singapore's and those are, uh, they uh, they speak the same language, they have the same TV and uh, pretty much the same kind of a history, but the school systems are very different and the outcomes and results are very different, including how the teachers experience their work uh, in a school. Canadian, I've been doing a lot of uh, during the last twenty years, a lot of co- cooperation with the Canadian. Uh, schools and teachers and school systems and i'm i can tell you one thing that when the when the the for example the teachers from alberta canada and finland when they meet and collaborate on the same issues they are like sisters and brothers like like soul 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 brothers with one another because they find so many similar things in about the attitude and uh, in, including this relational aspect of uh, of teaching and learning but the big difference is when you when you cross the border and come to the many parts of the united states not all but kind of if you take the typical um, american situation is that the the culture is so different and the good question is that why why you in the United States, why you couldn't be a little bit more like Canadians in this respect and, you know, learn, if you don't want to learn from Finland, learn from Canadians because they, they are doing, we, we and Canadians and some others are doing really uh, many things in a similar way, including how we see the role of teachers and students in school. That's fantastic. With and, and using this relational lens that um, circling back to the beginning of this conversation relates so much to trust and so much to building trust and having teachers that are trusted from day one. They 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 they've been through a program of of theory and practic practical uh, implementation. They they have worked hard and now we trust them unconditionally. Is it true that every principal in Finland is still has been a teacher? That is true. Yes, you cannot you cannot be a school principal in Finland unless you have a positive. Not only that you have to be a teacher, but you have to be a good teacher. <laughs> so that's part of your that's part of your selection criteria. Unfortunately, in some some other places, uh, and it used to be like this in Finland as well, that, that if you if you if you if you are not successful in a classroom, you will be promoted as a school administrator or teacher. But that's right. not that's not the case anymore. So it's a, it's a very important and it's a very important aspect of this trust building because that's yes. that's one reason why Finnish teachers in general they trust their 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 principal in the school because they know that this person has been in the classroom does understand what's going on there when they have a conversation between the principal and the teacher that the there's always this common understanding that we know what we are talking about. Just imagine having a principal who has no experience in teaching in a type of school or no teaching experience at all, who is trying to give advice to a teacher who has been a classroom teacher for 20 years <laughs> to, to kind of tell you know, what you should do in a classroom. I wouldn't believe a word that a person like that would tell to me, even if it's in a good te- textbook. You know, if, you, if it, doesn't, it, it doesn't come from the experience and understanding uh, that what goes on there. So that's, uh, that is a very important part of the, the, the overall culture in Finnish schools. I think that is a great example of, of the importance of trust and trust breeding empathy, trust breeding um, this uh, 
understand shared understanding between administration administrators and teachers and i definitely saw that um in when i was visiting schools in finland uh one time i was visiting and it was a winter time one last anecdote here is and it was snowing and it was so cold out and it was just one of those dark and snowy and blustery days and everybody was outside all the, this is a primary school and they were all out in the park and not only were they all outside on a day where you know it was really cold but they had freedom to run and they had freedom to move. And then we go back to school and they're in this home ec or not, sorry, this industrial arts class, like wood shop and they're lighting burners. And these are eight year olds, you know, with fire, <laughs> you know, and I'm thinking about how a teacher must be so entrusted because I asked the principal at that school, do you have any parents who, you know, kind of raise questions about this when their kid comes home and says, yeah, we played with fire and we ran out in the blizzard. And they don't really get much pushback from parents. And I love that example because it just seems to, in terms of wrapping up this conversation, it seems to really indicate how important trust is as an, in a sense, I guess, how trust is an offshoot of strong relationship building. Parents, That's right. Right? Yeah. Teacher, student, parents in school. Yeah, that's very true. But, you know, Finland seems to be also one of those countries where, where parents trust their own children much more than than in many other countries overall not just in education but you know things like going to buy groceries alone or taking care of your you know cleaning your own room or making sure that you have all the all the stuff in your school bag uh, it's it's a very common way in finland to the parents not to intervene i've been here in australia now for a couple of years and I can see that, you know, in this country and in the United States, the, the families, the parents are much more kind of, a, you know, taking the responsibility of the things that should be kids' uh, own responsibilities. And that comes, you know, responsibilities all comes with the trust. And so, so I, th I think that Finnish parents overall, they trust much more and they, they kind of insist that the kids have to take care of their own things. And they trust them to try and fail and make mistakes and come back and then let's learn about those things. And, and it's the same in school, you know, there's uh, accidents happen and things sometimes go wrong, but the culture of the Finnish school is built in a way that, you know, failure is good. And it's sometimes beautiful to fail and then get back and say, that, so what went wrong and what, what can we learn from this? And those systems like here or in the United States or England, where the, the failure of anything is like the worst thing that can happen to you. If you fail in any, any things that you do in the school, that you, you, you become immediately a, a loser or you get a bad yeah. mark. And that's, a, that's a kind of a wrong thing to do. But, you know, the whole Finnish society is much more closer to, to understand that if you really want to succeed in your life, if you want to succeed in school or in your work, success often... Uh, often is something that you need to you need to fail before that, and and that the failure and success are very close to uh, almost like a coupled, rather than in many other countries where you know failure is here and the success is here, and people kind of try to avoid those things. So, so many of those things that you probably saw and I see every time I go to Finnish schools is that there's a lot of kind of a risky things going on, and and uh, you know Finnish teachers understand that this that if you engage yourself in a, in a teaching children or teaching anybody, you are immediately in a, in the world of really risky business. <laughs> and, yes. and that's that you have to accept that, you know, things don't always go as planned and, uh, uh, but we have to learn those things. Um, and I see so many systems, education systems around the world that, that are designed in a completely different way that they kind of a, 
try to keep all the elements, all the aspects of uh, making a mistake or failing away and just do the kind of a, the middle road, sure, safe things um, uh, according to the standards and regulations and others. And that's not, that's not, not what the Finnish, uh, Finnish way is, is all about, it's something else. Safety cannot be found in standards alone, <laughs> right? Standards <laughs> yeah. can be a straitjacket, actually. That's, um, right. that's and, right. And I just love the example you gave about failing. And, and I know we got to wrap this up, but I wanted to just draw your, your attention, listeners, to there's a, an American teacher in Finland named Megan who I interviewed for my book. And she speaks on this, Basi. She talks about how one day, it was her first year of teaching in this Finnish primary school in Helsinki, and her principal called her in, her principal who was a phenomenal teacher during her years of teaching, so she had that built-in respect from Megan, and she calls her in, and Megan's like, what am I doing wrong? What's, what's the matter? And her principal says, you're not failing enough. You're, 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 you're so focused on being perfect here that there's actually a disconnect with your students that I am observing. And again, only somebody who's been a teacher can really have those words sink into another teacher you know, as, as feedback, I've been observing you. You're not connecting with your students the way that you're not building the relationships to the depth that, that you could because you're not trusting yourself to fail. I want to see you fail. I want to hear that you failed in a lesson and then come back and let's talk about why. And then we can learn about what makes a good lesson. Does that, so all of that just is, is speaks to what you were just sharing about trust yeah. and failure and being authentic and, and being selected not because you are the content expert, but because you've got a sense of relational acuity that with your students. Maybe I can leave yeah, you with exactly. a comment on that, yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And I, I think uh, that, you know, the conversations and relations are much more interesting when we, when we also speak about our failures, what didn't work and what went wrong, rather than if you always praise your, you know, what did you accomplish? and how great everything is and and that's uh, you know that's why when i uh, when i did a big part of my my work for many years in the united states and people were kind of asking asking me that so what can we do in america yeah. to um you know make make this uh, beautiful risk of failure more more kind of a understood and 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 practical thing and i said you can do what Finns have been doing already for many years that introduce a a national day of failure where where you where you celebrate the power of failure uh, in anything you do in in workplace and at home and the school and the sports and other places just take one day a year where you pay attention to the importance of failing before you can actually come up with anything new new ideas so finland has been doing it's, a, it's a october 13th every <laughs> every year uh, when we celebrate, uh, once I had an audience where I, sp- I was speaking about this in a very concrete terms, and, and there's somebody in the audience. Uh, this was in uh, Connecticut, I think. Somebody said to me that we have a we have a failure day here in America, as well, but it's only every other year, and it's a, it's a first Tuesday of uh, November. Mm. And I didn't quite understand that. Why do you have this the first Tuesday of the November or second Tuesday of November before I understood that that's where people go and the politicians go go to the polls and forth. But but seriously, I think that you know, if any school, anybody who is listening to this, that if you if you feel the same way that we do both here, that you know, f- that there's a lot of potential uh, and energy uh, stored in the in the in the failure of of our efforts to try to do something. If you want to do something, just try this, just introduce a, a, 
day of failure in your school or in your district and invite everybody, the parents and the employers and the sports people, everybody to just for one day a year to come up with their own stories, what the fa- how, how the failure and mistakes have helped them to accomplish something and, and translate that in, the, in a kind of an important thing to be learned in a school. And your school will be very different place and, and the children will love it because that's what they are mostly afraid of. <laughs> and when you turn this kind of a fear into something positive and something yeah. you can learn, it can be a really a powerful, uh, powerful thing. So, you know, many of these finished model things don't cost anything. It's just a kind of a way of thinking about these things a little bit and being, being kind of a brave to move forward, brave to do things that we don't know exactly what's going to happen. And sometimes they are good like this, uh, the, the, the day of failure yes authentic reflection that opens the door for greater exploration you're not going to explore broadly if you are fearing failing exactly so i love that i want to leave you um yeah i want to leave you dr salberg with um just an opportunity to share what you're doing uh, at new south wales because you're you're focusing on well, first of all, you have a book that just came out recently about the importance of play that I was thinking of in the back of my mind when I was talking about the blizzard and the kids out there playing. And also, yeah, beautiful. Let the children play. That's, that's the book that um, I, I strongly... Next, next time, Let. Next time. Yes, next time we will talk about play and the power of play and the courage and confidence that comes out of play. But also your work with, um, you're also focusing a lot on the inequalities in education. And I, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I will. Um, <laughs> the idea of if you can sum up kind of what your work is about right now in New South Wales and what you're finding, if, if you can share anything about what you're finding in terms of um, inequality in, in, uh, in education in Australia, because certainly in the U.S. we're focused a lot on trying to bridge the achievement gap and bring it closer, as you know, and how what have you discovered thus far? If you can share anything about this on your research, sure. Yeah, yeah. I can say I can say very briefly. I, I'm yeah. I'm a professor at the University of New South Wales here in Sydney, and uh, what we do, we have a little small institute called the Gonski Institute that is uh, is designed to address and and try to help to fix the uh, fairly serious inequalities and inequities here in Australia education system. Australia has a, a similar structure than the United States. All the states and territories, they have their own systems. So we are focusing here in New South Wales um, to, to try to help to, to change the system or, or kind of a direct the system in, in a ways that it would become more inclusive and fair and equal uh, to um, all the students. Inequality here, from my perspective, in Australia is a, is a challenge, number one, in education. It's a, it's a big challenge in the United States as well. So the, in this way that things are, are, are similar here to in many ways that they are in the, in the United States. So what we, obviously working at the university, the research we do is one of the, one of the main things. But we, we also, we try to find a kind of a practical um, new innovation if you wish to try to influence this change here in in the the equity um in education and you know australia is an interesting um place compared to finland is that here the the parents are basically running the system not the profession in finland that i left behind about a couple of years ago that's the system that is uh is primarily run by uh educators the profession 
the teachers mm-hmm. and principals and other the education community runs the system as a profit just like a, the medical medical people are the doctors are running the, the hospitals and the system and the and in uh, they are the main main influencers of the education policy and reforms and direction but not here you know here the the system is run by parents so in australia if you want to if you really want to change the course of education if you want to improve bring a kind of a new ways to improve the system you need to influence parents first the parents change the politicians and politicians change the policies and policies then change the schools in finland it doesn't work like this so so that's why our uh, our kind of a big interest here in our research and <clears throat> and advocacy work is to to try to think about you know how do we communicate these things with the, the communities and parents and um, and schools in a way that the parents would see education in a different way that they would see it broader than just you know providing something for their own children that seems to be a, a very common way of thinking you know here in this country if you if you find a good school for your own child you're done you kind of a, you you can switch off yourself from the, the all the conversations and debates about education because i'm good you know i don't need to worry right. about that right. in finland that would never happen because right. in, in in the scandinavian countries people see education as a as a common thing that you know it's not enough to have a good school for my own children i also have to be concerned about having good education for everybody because that's the only way when we can have a kind of a sustainable peaceful cohesive uh, societies so that's what we try to do here by bringing in evidence and experiences from other countries and doing research like now we're doing a lot of research on play um, we are doing a lot of research on technology how it's shaping up uh, children and teenagers differently depending on what type of family backgrounds they come with so just to have a conversation again you know this goes nicely back to your initial theme it's about relationships it's about building a relationship with the with the communities and, and in this case parent communities in a way that they would trust us what we do as uh, academics and the university and that we would have a good conversation about you know what we really need to do to have a good life for our kids, particularly in these times when nobody knows what's going to happen. Dr. Pasi Salberg, I appreciate and I'm so grateful for the trust that you had in me for this to run this conversation and to the relationship that I feel we've built in the past 40 minutes here in this conversation is really, really quite profound. And there's so many thoughts going through my head right now, talking about trust, talking about relationships, talking about organizations and leadership, educational leadership, talking about what makes a, a, an engaging teacher. And it might not be what we think. What does 10% really mean? It's not what we think it means. Um, and you're skimming from those 10%. It's not skimming. Um, what is the importance of play and creativity and, and exploration in a healthy uh, child development in a healthy classroom? All of these topics we've covered and we've discussed today And I just also feel like we could continue talking for a lot longer, but I'm not able to. And that's okay because you have many videos online. You've got, again, you've got these both finished lessons 2.0 and let the children play um, your articles. And I'm just really, again, just want to say thank you. This has been an inspiring conversation for any teacher who's listening. Just know here's Dr. Sahlberg is finished taught and educated and as a teacher and as a professor and as an educational reformer and then also working in the U.S. in Washington D.C., Cambridge, Massachusetts and now in Sydney at New South Wales 
really influencing all hemispheres here of the globe and really spreading what's just so important in terms of bringing back or at least swinging the pendulum from these quantitative metrics focused only to yes, there's importance for that, but also let's remember that teaching is a human profession at heart. And um, this conversation has been a reminder of that. So thank you. Thank you, it's been a, a real, real pleasure and uh, keep on doing good job, Nat. <laughs> thank you very, very much. You've been listening to Reach Teach Talk with Nat Damon. If you'd like to recommend a guest for a future episode, you can send your suggestion or questions to nat at reachacademics.com.